All right, we're here for Taylor's version, 1989, and Bob Dylan. All right, connecting the classics, doing a versus this episode, where Will and I both choose albums. He chose Taylor Swift, I chose Bob Dylan, and we're going to connect the albums to each other. Using tangential references in the style of Mr. Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon style. By the way, did you know Kevin Bacon has a podcast? Wow, you know more than I know. Five points. You know more than I know. You know more than I know. You know more than I know. Do you know what I know, though? What? I know I got to get into a little J.J. Kale. And talk about the albums we picked today. You already mentioned Taylor Swift, 1989. We are an evergreen podcast, but uh, I have here holding it up for the video audience. 1989, Taylor's version on vinyl. Crystal Skies Blue Edition just arrived right before we started recording. Wow, I'll give you 100 points for that then. And what'd you fire back with? I fired back with Bob Dylan on the tracks. I think the genesis for the theme here is... You know, Taylor's reached a level of stardom where I think you can start comparing her to some of the greats. And I think we want to do an episode of compare and contrast Bob Dylan and Taylor Swift. Two great country artists, Taylor (laughs) Swift versus Bob Dylan. And it's Blood on the Tracks, right, is the name of it? Blood on the Tracks, 1975. So sort of the second half of his, like, good career when he's still good. Do you have a personal connection to this album in particular? Yeah, I think personal connection here. I think this might be another one from my dad, tangentially, but oh, yeah. uh, it was one of the first albums that I really got attached to the entire album. I think, you know, as a lot of people, you hear Bob Dylan through just like radio and whatnot, so it's like singles. Just like Taylor Swift. This is an album I sat down and listened to Instant the whole thing. Instant connection. Yep. So that's my connection. And had you ever listened to Taylor Swift, 1989, and did you listen to the original version owned by scooter braun or did you listen to taylor's version we're only taylor's versions today okay good uh so yeah had you ever listened to 1989 or any i had never sat down and listened to it Uh, i knew a lot of the tracks so i mean this is a pretty massive album very pop relative to her other catalog yeah so i had never listened to a taylor swift album or a bob dylan album like really sat down and listened to it in full except if we did it a Bob Dylan album before then I listened to it but I've yeah. never done it on purpose so this mm-hmm. was a good exercise because like obviously you've heard all the hits from each of them yeah Taylor Swift 1989 I actually feel like Taylor Swift has grown on me over the years I still I don't want to say that I hate her and she's insufferable and makes bland pop music that's terrible just like Bob Dylan because I know I'll probably lose a lot of our audience <laughs> But or actually our audience will probably agree with that and then we'll get a lot of hate mail when someone clips this out or something but you know taylor swift's fans are very passionate and i don't know if she is talented i guess i've i've come like we've learned on the podcast before you know you hated little wayne but then you realize you know some people are just great at what they do even if you don't vibe with it yeah which definitely is true of taylor swift yeah i mean to be relevant for 17-ish years is pretty hard to do. Yeah. And, you know, the people are going to come after us because 
if anything gets clicks these days, it's Taylor Swift. But never in my wildest dreams did I think that <laughs> <laughs> that we'd be playing Taylor Swift. You know, she's a big girl now. If you see her, say hello. This was her fourth re-recorded album in the Taylor's version. I guess from talking to some Taylor Swift experts and consulting Wikipedia, yeah, I found that she started, obviously, when she was like 14, uh, moved to Nashville, started playing country, got discovered by the record label that she eventually ended up beefing with, Big Machine. Yep. And her dad paid like two hundred fifty or 120000 for a 3% share in the record label, apparently. So uh-huh. there's like accusations of, you know, her dad helped her out, but still the talent's undeniable. And mm-hmm. whose dad didn't help them out, you know? If yeah. They could, if they could. Yeah. And, uh... Anyways, this led to this like dispute. I'm sure all of our listeners already know all about it, but I didn't really know much about it, that she's essentially re-recorded all her first four albums. Yes, um, that were on that label. Because Scooter Braun was somehow involved and she wanted to break with him. Well, she tried to buy the royalties when she got like rich enough. Right. And they basically told her no, and then they sold the catalog to someone else. Damn. So she's like, all right, screw you then. I'll re-record all these albums and then... Everyone will yeah, play that Yeah, because technically she wrote the songs or she wrote them with Jack Antonoff was the producer on this album. Yeah. So she, I hate him by his name alone. She wanted the like song, the sound recordings, right? So you in a a song and like a royalty. The masters. Yeah, you've got the like songwriting royalties and then you've got the mechanical, which is like the sound recording. And that's a big thing nowadays, I guess, of artists wanting more ownership over their masters because yeah. the record recording people just paid for it or whatever but they didn't yeah and it exists forever now with streaming i think in a way that like back catalogs are super relevant and still make money whereas back in the day i think there was a like this idea of it just end up in a box in the back of a record store or something yeah that makes a lot of sense and then well taylor swift has become the first billionaire with music as her primary source of income which i thought was a crazy fact Never in my wildest dreams did I think she could achieve that. Launching in, Taylor Swift, Wildest Dreams. So this album has the hits, you know. Let me check. Welcome to New York. I mean, Uh come on. (laughs) I remember she moved to New York. Yep. And that was a tabloid thing. Blank space. Yep, all hits. Shake It Off was the massive one. Shake It Off. Bad Blood. By the way, Scooter Braun is who bought the catalog. That was the beef. Right. So my other connection to Taylor Swift is she has a home uh, on like a beachside property in Rhode Island. Well, and she's a Chiefs fan like you. I guess she is now. So obviously with Taylor Swift, like a lot of tabloid discussion around her is who she's dating. Like we're evergreen, but as of this recording, she's dating Travis Kelsey. And like when she moved to New York, I remember she was dating like John Mayer. 
and then uh-huh. she ev- inevitably will break up with whoever she's dating and then write songs about her about the guy and all the Swifties you know go nuts over it so I was looking up online but apparently this song isn't about a particular person even though there's a theory that it's about Alexander Skarsgård is that who she dated? I think she dated him for a hot sec and like there's some controversy where they filmed the video in South Africa and it was all white people she Uh got criticized she's always embroiled in controversy I mean, she's always under such a different standard than other male musicians. But she is the also the epitome of, like, the white woman, you know? Basic sure. white woman. It's a banger, though. This was my favorite. Spoilers, me too. Oh, we crossed streams! So we'll hear it again later. So wait, why do you hate the name Jack Antonoff? I think it's just one of those. It, I mean, obviously it sounds like Jack Off, but it just is like... <laughs> so I don't like him as a person in that he's like the Rick Rubin of the day and pop music, but he makes like bland, synthy, like basic ass pop music that is super catchy but it's also like happy there was like one minor chord <laughs> song is, that happy's the adjective you're taking uh, <laughs> issue with <laughs> he's too happy he's too happy i hate jack antonoff because he's too happy he makes happy music yeah but i like pharrell and he made happy yeah that's true but i did think like especially when you compare taylor swift's earlier country stuff to like this synth pop kind of turn like Jack Antonoff has worked with Lana Del Rey bunch of people that will be getting into another one that I actually didn't know he worked with with my next connection Uh, but St. Vincent another name he's worked with so he was in that band Fun he was in Fun and then Bleachers so essentially like corporate indie bullshit happy pass it back I'm bitter all right Getting us started, I do think if I could just say one thing for Taylor Swift, I mean, the numbers are undeniable. You, you can't hate, you can call her music whatever you want, but clearly she resonates with people and she's had an insane amount of success for a solo female act. I mean, I'm not the target audience. Music. I'm not the target audience. Sure, sure. But all that just on, on the like out that out there in front, I think the other element is I think she does a really good job of writing sort of authentic songs i way that resonate with people like bob Um, dylan and she writes a lot of her songs i don't i don't know if she does a lot of the production or even like she maybe starts with a really loose song that gets turned into what it finally is but i think at the core she is a songwriter which is impressive as well you might argue does a good job like kanye who she's been embroiled with i feel like they're kind of similarly like big enough pop stars that they get scrutinized in a similar way and then obviously Mm. kanye interrupted her to say beyonce had the video of the year or whatever yeah um but i feel like they use the tabloid coverage of them in their music in a way that seems honest but also only helps build up their persona yeah i mean she's calculated but you have to be 
Yeah, but I you think don't... she does it really well. But it's also like she's not making just. It's like Jack Antonoff might be helping put the songs together, but she is still writing them in an honest way. Yeah. So I'll give her that. Yeah, but she's not sad enough. Yeah, she definitely could be a little more sad. And when she is sad, she's very like sappy sad. All right, but comparing, contrasting to Bob Dylan, I think the one thing I will caveat with all of this is we kind of have the hindsight with Bob Dylan's career. You, you know, uh, Taylor Swift is 33. Uh, I believe Bob Dylan is like literally 32 or 33 when he records Blood on the Tracks. But I do think there's some similarities, incredibly monumental figures in their genres, some elements of reinventing. I know we've talked about with Bob Dylan in the past. He starts as a folk artist, then goes electric, which caused a lot of controversy. He then later in his career kind of has a born-again Christian gospel phase, which is yet another reinventing. You know, he's, he sells you know stadiums worth of, of uh, tours and whatnot. Uh, but to set the scene here, Blood on the Tracks, 1975. Let's do a quick look. Bob Dylan born in 41. Well, you so, yeah, said, he would have been yeah. 34. Yeah, that's so crazy. So basically Taylor Swift's age. So great compare and contrast. I don't know how we do this every time. But uh, one of the reasons I really love this album is it's coming at the time when his marriage to his wife, Sarah Dylan, is falling apart. Um, and to like... Just like Taylor and John yeah, right. Mayer. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, she was this... Uh, sort of shift in his life where up to when he met her, he had kind of been touring and just like working himself to death, basically like doing a lot of uppers like drugs to try to stay alert enough to do these really like grueling tours. He marries her, settles down in like rural New York in the late sixties, early seventies, has a couple kids, has like a really pastoral life. And, uh, then they separate and a lot of this album is sort of a reflection of his marriage with her told through stories and whatnot. Um, the reason I like this album though is he, at 34, this album is sort of a revisiting of his original style that I think he got so famous with. Mm, um, that's why a lot of these, roots. yeah, a lot of these hits almost sound like they could have been sung in his early days, but he just has this like wisdom and maturity that I think comes with your thirties where you can kind of redo your twenties, but a little smarter. So why, why is it called blood on the tracks? I actually don't know. Uh, you know, with Bob Dylan, I will say comparing contrasting to Taylor, he uses a lot of metaphors, a lot of like really pretty language that kind of doesn't mean something, but also means He's a like, poet. tons of things, very poet like, and I think Taylor's the opposite, very vulnerable and kind of says exactly what she means and, Damn, Almost I'll give like you five contrite, points. Contrite, like, uses a lot of tropes and stuff. Yeah, because um, I was thinking it was called Blood on the Tracks because he's a vampire. Because <laughs> you said he's 33. He's been 99 years old uh, yeah. his whole life in my mind. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get that joke out. I've been sitting Good. on it for a while. That's At least an I got authentic, a laugh this time. That's an authentic laugh for the listeners. That yeah. <laughs> one actually got a real laugh from me. You give me a uh, point. One no point. pity laughs. Whoa, uh, one point, but minus one for my voice screeching when I said one point. <laughs> one point. All right, so 1975 is when this is released, 1974. Last thing I'll add for context that I thought was interesting. I got one album. more interesting thing, too. What? Uh, just 1975. I'm pretty sure Jack Antonoff worked with them, or they the band oh, in 1975. Okay. I don't know sure. if he worked with them, but they have the same terrible sound. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, this album was recorded in two different sessions. Uh, the first sessions in New York City, he shows the album to a couple of people, including his brother. His brother says, "Like, 
this doesn't really sound like you. Like, I think you can do better. He goes to Minneapolis. He plays with session musicians that his brother recruits and records like four or five of the songs and those end up making the album. So again, returning to his roots, I think a little bit with this album. At a he time from Duluth. Making, he's from Duluth, but records in Minneapolis at a studio. Um, I think when you think of loss and something as big as like divorce, I think there's something to the idea of going back to your roots to sort of rebuild. Mm-hmm. Remember who you are. Anyways. All right. The song to me that encapsulates the album is shelter from the storm. Nice. Really poetic, a lot of imagery. And he just uses three chords. A lot like folk music, like Woody Guthrie we've talked about on the show. Um, It's just a really great sort of call out. And there's the harmonica. So launch it in. Shelter from the storm. Got a shelter from the storm in Minneapolis. Yeah. Yeah, he's there in December. It would have been so cold. And in New York. Welcome to New York. in another lifetime, one of toil and blood. When blackness was a virtue, the road was full of mud. I came in from the wilderness, a creature void of form. Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. This is better than Baby It's Cold Outside, for sure. (laughs) And if I pass this way again, you can rest assured. I'll always do my best for her, on that I give my word. In a world of steel-eyed death and men who are fighting to be warm. Come in, she said, I'll give ya shelter from the storm. Also love the decision to have just like guitar and bass, basically. Not a word was spoke between us. There was a little risk involved. Everything up to that point had been left unresolved. Try imagining a place where it's always safe and warm. Come in, she said, I'll give ya shelter from the storm. So they meet in 1965, divorce officially in 1977. I was burned out from exhaustion, buried in the hail, poisoned in the bushes and blown out on the trail, hunted like a crocodile, ravaged in the corn. Come in, I just love that, by the way. Hunted, hunted like a crocodile, ravaged in the corn. Doesn't mean anything, but kind of means something. That's how I feel about all poetry. Yeah, right. I'm starting to appreciate poetry more, Suddenly just like Bob Dylan and Taylor Swift. Yeah. Well, the other thing, Bob Dylan trivia, he took his name took from Dylan Thomas, the poet. Well, he got the Nobel Prize for literature. That's true. What Was that for his songs? Yeah. Now there's a wall nice. between us. But I think he was like, you know, he moved to Greenwich Village in the 60s, which was like poets and folk musicians. And I guess with poetry, too, it's like I'm starting to appreciate just even a sentence that doesn't make sense because I tend to like a more straightforward Taylor Swift style, but maybe a little more poetic than Taylor Swift. Or maybe I'm just being misogynistic. Well, to also compare and contrast, uh, I think Taylor Swift bought a house or an apartment or something in uh, the village. Oh, yeah. Nice. Another connection. But we'll be getting into it later, but there was a 
thing I was reading about Bob Dylan, how he walked into some like Greenwich Village cafe and was just like, are there any poets here? Are there any poets? Yeah. And he just like wanted to know all the poets. Well, the thing I will say is Bob Dylan definitely, his style is much more innovative than Taylor's. But I think he gets attributed to originality in a way that I think is a little unfair. Yeah. He was just like popularizing folk stuff. Yeah, exactly. Popularizing is perfect. Just like Taylor Swift is kind of doing. I'm living in a foreign country, but I'm bound across the land. Yeah, literally the only reason I ever hated Bob Dylan was because my friend Adam loved him so much that I just hated him as a contrarian. You what? Uh, never mind. Okay. Harmonica solo. He does just like simple but effective harmonica. Yeah. For those following along at home, uh, this was a New York session song. I think we might have talked about this before. I don't know if it was on the podcast, but one of my favorite videos from music history is Bob Dylan at the Newport Folk Festival. Yes. And he's like, does yeah. anyone have an E harmonica? <laughs> yeah. And then like uh, like 100 people throw their harmonicas on the stage. <laughs> That's great. All right, pass him back. All right, we left off with Taylor Swift, Wildest Dreams. One thing I didn't mention that I thought was interesting about that song is Taylor Swift is credited as playing the heartbeat because I guess the rhythm of the song is her actual heartbeat. Oh, nice. And a uh, little fun fact I found, Dolly Parton is credited on 9 to 5 for playing the fingernails because she like <laughs> rubs her long fingernails together on the mic, on the mic. to make a little nice. rhythm. But, you know, talking Jack Antonoff, who probably had that heartbeat idea. Maybe it was Taylor. Maybe I'm being misogynistic, but... Yeah, you are a little bit. <laughs> um, I was looking more into Jack Antonoff, and he said, Taylor's the first person who let me produce a song. Before Taylor, everyone said, you're not a producer. It took Taylor Swift to say, I like the way this sounds. Nice. And... I realize he worked with another artist that I'm going to say I was kind of the Taylor Swift for this artist who became a superstar just like Taylor Swift. Okay. Kevin Abstract. This is produced by Jack Antonoff, Joyride from 2019, Arizona Baby. This is the guy in uh, that group, Rockhampton. Yeah, Rockhampton. 
blocks in my head, let me holler back. Silly way I can get cash back, cause I love it's that love what I like. Yeah, I do it for some reason. Move away from my people, my good friend, or evil. Break us and feel evil. I don't think I would ever wanna fucking listen. Love the chorus. I don't think I would ever want to fuck in the sun. Very outcast on this. Outcast for sure. I was also getting some Pharrell, NERD, like uh, happy vibes. <laughs> So Kevin Abstract, for those who don't know, he was in, yeah, Brockhampton, like you said. He's like openly gay rapper. Uh, I was looking through because when I first started writing about music, I I think I saw his song Drugs on Pigeons and Planes, which I listened to that and it was a great song. Yeah. Um, but I ended up writing about it for Passion of the Weiss, and I was looking back at like the PR guy for Kevin Abstract was like, just got 20,000 streams on Spotify. Nice. Or on SoundCloud. On SoundCloud. Yeah. So I was like, and now it has like 1.5 million views. And to a younger generation, he's like huge. Sure. But I was feeling good about myself because the article was terrible because it was one of the first things I wrote. But it was talking about how like genre kind of doesn't exist. And Kevin Abstract is like completely deconstructing it. He's like, you could maybe argue he's the beginning of kind of that, like, he's not really Gen Z. He's kind of a zillennial. But Gen Z people love him, though. He's yeah. like our age. Or he's a little younger, but yeah. A little younger. But that, like, era where, like, people are genre agnostic. Right. And Brockhampton was, like, a group of kids who met on a Kanye to the forum. And then... They called themselves a boy band. And it was crazy how big they got. Kind of like Taylor Swift. And they just disbanded? Yeah, so this is his Kevin Abstract solo album. So I really like this song off that project, but all his music is kind of different. Like he does a lot of different styles and sometimes he doesn't always use that like auto-tune voice, but it's been cool to watch his projection or progress. It's been cool to watch his progression. And even though I did write about him early, I'm not actually claiming any credit for success because I don't think anyone saw the article. And then uh, I didn't um, stay close to his career after that, but I'm always impressed when I hear it. Even if, again, I'm not quite the target audience. Yeah, I love the connection, and I was definitely vibing with that beat. So nice production. It looks like Antonoff did the whole album. So they yeah. must be like, they must work a lot together. Yeah, I think he did this whole album. Um, all right, you passing it? Passing it back. So you were talking about Kevin Abstract, which is fitting because he's originally from Texas. Mm-hmm. Corpus Christi. Came from a really religious family, I guess. 
Yeah, we'll be getting in that web. All right. But uh, Texas is relevant for my next connection here. We were talking about Bob Dylan, Shelter from the Storm, comparing and contrasting Bob Dylan, Taylor Swift. One other thing that I feel like is, is noted about Bob Dylan is I feel like Taylor Swift writes really personal songs that only she can sing, whereas Bob Dylan writes these songs that a lot of artists uh, want to cover and are able to kind of create a new song out of it. Um, so the song I chose for that example is from the 13th Floor Elevators. They're, uh, I think, an Austin, Texas band. So that's the Texas connection there. And this is them doing Bob Dylan's It's All Over Now, Baby Blue. Nice. Um, a really fun interpretation. The birds also have a great version, but we've talked a little bit about the birds before. Oh, and we're going to be getting into a song later that the birds also have a cover of, but we've talked about the birds before. We don't plan this. We don't plan it. Also, another quick connection, Taylor Swift to Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan was doing old folk songs, re-recording them. Taylor uh-huh. Swift's re-recording her old folk songs. Nice. Launch it in. Thirteenth Floor Elevators, kind of one of the first psych rock bands. And I love that this song feels like it's basically splitting at the seams the entire time, but somehow what year holds is this? together. Uh, let's see. If I had to guess, I think it's 65, maybe 66. And maybe we've talked about them before. 67. But Rocky Erickson is the main guy. Super innovative. Um, and like experimental, but kind of coming out of garage rock. And so I think that's where a lot of the psych rock ideas come from is his experiments with garage rock. Hear a little noodling, a little post rock, a little Midwest emo. It'd be blue, just like the Crystal Skies Blue Edition of Taylor's version, 1989. What year did you say? 67. Ooh! This is way ahead of its time. Oh, yeah. So I guess they're I guess they're attributed with the first use of the term psychedelic rock. They put it on their business cards in 66. But yeah, I almost would argue shoegaze, too. Maybe a little bit of pre-shoegaze. Yeah, exactly. Like Genre agnostic. It was the original yeah. Kevin Abstract. Good noodling, though, you're right. 
sounds like when Austin was weird. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it really does, it's though. A, it's a fair call-out. Unlike the meat, is, yeah. the meat puppets and, like, that kind of, like, southern twangy, but rock, it's like rock. Bob Dylan's a great one to cover because you don't have to sing on key. Yeah, right. It's all Is that Krungbin? Yeah. They were also unique. They had an electric jug player. So they basically empty jug that they buzz their lips around. <laughs> Electrified it. I bet that looked hilarious on stage. Yeah. <laughs> if I was going to lean into the misogynist character, I'd say, <laughs> you know who else has jugs on stage? Don't you do it. <laughs> Not going to interrupt for the gavel, but... great if i would have seen that at a honky tonk in austin in 1965 yeah. i would have lost my mind on acid and seriously set up a tent under the bridge with all the bats <laughs> and then bob dylan would fly up because he's a vampire <laughs> all pass right it back yeah pass it back we left off with kevin abstract joy ride it's kind of an abstract connection here as you mentioned Kevin Abstract's parents were extremely religious Mormons, according to Wikipedia, and so he kind of didn't come out of the closet until later. Book of Mormon is a play I saw at the Pantages Theater. Alice Cooper was there. I think I might have mentioned that on the podcast before. Uh, that has nothing to do with my next connection other than another play I saw at the Pantages Theater was Six, the musical, Okay, which um, really reminded me of Taylor Swift because I wasn't the target audience, but essentially the premise of the play is Henry VIII's six wives are putting on a concert and they each do like a little song that kind of goes into the history. But at the end, it's kind of saying like, 
everyone talks about Henry VIII, but no one talks about his wives because they've been like written out of history. So kind of reclaiming the history. But people there, like they treat it like a concert, like they know all the words and they're like cheering in between songs. Grew up in the French court, we we Anne Boleyn, don't lose your head. I know you hate musicals, so I won't play the whole song. Feels very much like Shake It Off. Exactly. Not much. Give you a thousand points. But then I met the king, and soon my daddy said, You should try and get ahead. So each of the characters in the play are based off like a different superstar. This one is based on like Lily Allen, Avril Lavigne, Miley Cyrus. We'll just hear the chorus. Same chorus as Zion I, Hyphy Song. Don't lose your head. I didn't know I would move in with his miss. You like this? Like, what was I meant to do? Sorry, not sorry about what I said. Yeah, it's not that bad, actually. Is this before or after Hamilton? I don't know. Probably before, right? It's a banger. So, anyways, we'll get out of that. Anne Boleyn, though, interesting figure from history. First queen to be publicly executed. Henry VIII. I think, I forget what happened, but she couldn't have a boy or something, so he killed her, had her beheaded. Uh Uh-huh. And he also broke from the Catholic Church to get with her. Um, So that's why England isn't Catholic. So it says 2017, so that actually is probably after Hamilton? Probably, yeah. It's definitely riding the Hamilton wave. We're almost there to my next connection. Um, that character was also based on Miley Cyrus that we just heard, Anne Boleyn. I was watching Miley Cyrus's New Year's Eve this past year, even though we're evergreen, and Sia performed, and David Byrne was also performing. Nice. And it became a meme because no one knew who David Byrne was. And all the like young people were like, who is this old man who's like singing terribly off key like Bob Dylan? So we'll fast forward to his part. Nice. I think he's about to come in. There's David Byrne. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Unstoppable today. So, which brings me going on a run here. Another concert film nice. like Taylor Swift eras that's got people dancing in the audience. Uh, stop making sense like my connections have stopped making sense they're too Kevin abstract nice this is life in wartime
Brian Eno worked on this one. So the official title of this song is Life During Wartime, parentheses, This Ain't No Party, This Ain't No Disco, This Ain't No Foolin' Around. Nice. And I guess according to Wikipedia, one of the longest titled singles ever. But I was interested in this song because it's like another example of kind of what we talked about with Deltrot 3030 of dystopian music. It's like a post-apocalyptic kind of story song about a guy, a revolutionary hiding out in a cemetery surviving on peanut butter. (laughs) Funky horns. So have you seen Stop Making Sense, the uh, Jonathan Demme documentary that's been re-released? I've only seen it when I was younger. I, I haven't seen it since I've been older now. Yeah, I've never seen it, but I want to see it. It's definitely like what you'll notice is he is just like constantly moving around on stage. Yeah, and it's like almost like a musical, like six. It's just like drenched. Peanut butter. So Talking Heads, another band that I didn't really get for a while because I feel like I see what they're doing. It's almost like Tim and Eric. Yeah. But it's a little grating or something still, you know? Well, I was wondering, too... If, you know, the choice of the word, this ain't no disco, is a callback to, like, the fires, the the burning of the records, the disco sucks parties that we've talked about before. Yeah, maybe. Because, but then this song is almost like disco-y, right? So, here we go. So, David Burns said, remember they would build bonfires of Donna Summer Records. Well, nice. we like some disco music. It's called dance music now. Some of it was radical, camp, silly, transcendent, disposable. So it was funny that we were sometimes seen as the flag bearers of the anti-disco movement. Interesting. Because, yeah, I feel like that that song in particular, it, but even like Psycho Killer and like you're saying, he's dancing the whole time. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of crossover with it. Pass it back after that. Running down the tracks. Amazing Bloody. run. I'll give you 1,979 for the year that came out. Thank you. Points. Give you points for that. All righty. So we were talking about part of, oh, by the way, you were talking about why talking heads, you like get it. Now I think camp is a perfect word. Mm. It's very campy. But when you can either move past the camp or appreciate the camp, I feel like they become a lot more accessible. Yeah. Because he's a goofy like, dude. I mean, he wears... In that performance, stop making sense. He wears like a gigantic suit. Yeah, just, connecting like, back to uh, Kanye, who did that in a video later with uh, that. I forget who was in that. One of those pipsqueak guys. Did you ever read his book? Little Pump. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Did you ever read David Byrne's book? Uh, was it Music Life Life on Music or no? But it's one uh, at one point plug for my book. It was higher on the Amazon charts than David Byrne's book. So nice. suck it, David Byrne. How, how music, music works. works. It's like yeah. one of the best selling music book or like it's like always up there, even though it was released twenty years ago. I think I bought it and read part of it and didn't finish it. Um, it's pretty good. It's it's uh worth I think worth a read, but uh, gives you a lot it's of interesting insight guy. into his his creative process and his decisions we also talked about him on the episode where we did uh, american football and i forget which album you picked but talking he has a good ted talk that my friend adam who likes bob dylan so much that he's the sole reason i hate bob dylan or i hated bob dylan growing up and never listened to him Uh he told me about this david byrne ted talk about how, how architecture helped music evolve that we talked about on that episode and i think it's worth everyone checking out still Pass it back. All right. So we're talking about 13th floor elevators. It's all over now. Architecture. Baby, baby Talking blue. architecture, 13th floor. Uh, Some hotels another, don't have it. Another note on uh, his covers, I think, call out is Bob Dylan. I think the famously he said the only cover he's really ever enjoyed more than his own music is um, Jimi Hendrix all along the watchtower. What an arrogant asshole. And also we're going to be get- weaving that web which is a great uh, cover where you transform it into its own thing. But we're not here to talk anymore about covers. We're talking about 13, which is Taylor Swift's lucky number. For you Swifties out there, you already knew that. She was born on the 13th. She turned 13 on Friday the 13th. And her first album went gold in 13 weeks. So she has adopted 13 as her favorite number. But earlier this month, we also had Friday the 13th. And guess what tomorrow is, Will, even though we're an evergreen podcast? Yesterday was Halloween. So yesterday when this comes out was Halloween. So in honor of that, going to play the main theme from Friday the 13th. Because I didn't realize there's been a lot of cultural references to this song. And it's like funny little sound effects that it has in the background. Ooh. Speaking of campy horror movies, by the way. So now listeners can be cognizant of this. We're evergreen, but today I watched Halloween. John Carpenter does a soundtrack. Yeah, great soundtrack. John Carpenter. I think we played on the podcast before. And that was just my whole review is just John Carpenter. That's it. You can't talk over it. Sorry. Go ahead. That's my whole review of Halloween is just John Carpenter can play the piano, man. Yeah, I, I think John Carpenter's scores are much better than this. All right. I had to do out. something in honor of Halloween, and I just thought it was an interesting little nugget. I guess the sounds are the, they had an original voice track that said "Kill Mommy," and the guy decided to just cut it to the first syllables, so it's just like. K-. I guess "Mommy" would have been ma, ma. That's terrifying. <laughs> ma, ma. That's great, though. Nineteen eighty though, not a very scary score taken out of context. Kinda sounds silly. <laughs> but moving on here, going on a run just like Will did. Sticking with the thirteen theme. We've talked about this band before and we didn't talk about this song though. So launching into Big Star thirteen. Nice. Song about growing up. I'll give you thirteen times thirteen points. Don't ask me what that equals. Won't you let me walk you home? 
Friday the 13th. Oh! Get tickets for the dance. Now take you. Definitely some Bob Dylan influence in here. 1972. They're just ripping off Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan's like, who do you think you are, Mr. Big Star? Ain't it black? Rock and roll's here to stay. Come inside where it's okay. Come inside, just like Bob Dylan, shelter from the storm. Just like Travis Kelsey. Oh man, I'm getting out the gavel. <laughs> you gotta stop <laughs> reprimanding you. Real quick, I did say too the connection. an artist. The connection with six. Uh, also, I was thinking Taylor Swift has like Henry the Eighth. She's had so many uh, boyfriends that are. Oh my about- god! It doesn't even matter. It's so like sexist about her career. It's like everyone's just so obsessed with who she's dating. Yeah, so, that you yeah. do not see. With with male artists, I brought that up with uh, my wife, who's like sw- who's a Swifty, and she just told me that sounds sexist to say that to even like or yeah to think of it, I guess. Which or part? just because essentially exactly what you said that oh you yeah know, people always talk about her. It's like the opposite of Henry the Eighth that people always talk about her with her through her boyfriend past boyfriends yeah or just like talk about her love life when it's not really like relevant to her music career yeah like imagine if we were constantly on this show talking about who the artist dated i mean we do sometimes but yeah i don't know it's just it's too much with her my opinion which is opposite of henry the eighth where we know the names of the people that he dated but we don't know anything about them yeah it's a reversal all right go ahead going back all that's all that's edited out Oh, wait, I was also going to add uh, this song has been covered by a few artists who we've actually previously talked about on the show, which I thought was pretty cool. Song's been covered by Garbage, who you've played before, Wilco, and Elliot Ooh, Smith. You know, I lo- and who? And Elliot Smith. Oh, we'll be talking Smith soon. All friends of the pod. Love those harmonies. If it's so, let me know. If it's also had that phaser on there, so good. Yeah, I don't even know if it's harmony, but I like the background. Yeah, it's harmony with a phaser. You could see how this though would influence Elliot Smith as well, or early Taylor Swift. Yeah, or early Taylor Swift. Okay, I'll pass it back then. All right, talking talking heads, David Byrne uh, about 
Life During Wartime, David Burns said, I wrote this in my loft on 7th and Avenue A. I was thinking about Bader Meinhof, Patty Hearst, Tompkins Square. This is a song about living in Alphabet City. So I think that's nearby Greenwich Village, Bob Dylan. Yeah, totally is. Patty Hearst, I didn't really know much about her story. I don't know if you know anything about it, but she was like the daughter of the Hearst newspaper empire guy. She got kidnapped? She got kidnapped by some leftist militant group in the U.S. called the Symbionese Liberation Army. And I guess she was like kind of a part of it, too. I don't know the whole story. You could probably find some true crime podcast and learn more about it. If you're a Taylor Swift fan, you already know how to do that. Um, sorry, I edit that out. Another slight, somehow a misogynistic thing to say. So leading in, you talked about Jimi Hendrix. You talked about the birds. And we're going to one of Bob Dylan's good friend who you talked about, Elliot Smith. Bob Dylan walked in the cafe asking who's a poet and became friends with Patti Smith. So this is her 1974 cover, although this song isn't attributed to anyone. It's in the folk canon. Hey, Joe. Honey. Which she made about Patti Hearst, and this was her debut single i'm pretty sure the way you play guitar makes me feel so makes me feel so masochistic the way you go down low deep into the neck and i would do anything and i would do anything and patty hurst you standing there in front of the simonese liberation army flag with your legs spread i was wondering were you getting it every night from a black revolutionary man and his women or were you really dead and now that you are on the run what goes on in your mind your sister they sit by the window you know your mama does a sit and cry and your daddy well you know what your daddy said patty you know what your daddy said patty he said he said he said Oh, 60 days ago, she was such a lovely child. Now here she is with a gun in her hand. So good. So yeah, Patti Smith met Bob Dylan when she was 29 and he was 34. So soon after Blood on the Tracks. Does she cover Hey Joe? She does a faithful cover. This is it, yeah. Nice, good Jimi Hendrix connection. So I guess Hey Joe is like one of the most covered songs of all time. Yeah, originally by the Seeds. Well, I guess the origins of it is disputed because there's like one guy who claimed a copyright on it but then there was some ruling that um like it couldn't actually be attributed to him oh wow like a folk song but i think yeah Jimi hendrix had one of the most popular versions and it's like a song about a guy who has shoots his wife and then flees to Mexico. Yeah. She caught him with another man. He caught her with another man. She, she caught her he caught her with another man. I gave it the 
gave her the gun and shot her. So I thought again, talking about dystopian music and music being fiction, like this being another example of like talking about shooting someone. Yeah. And then Patti Smith was like a poet who was kind of one of the inventors of punk or like talking proto genres. I know you've brought her up on the podcast before. I think you brought her up. You, we did uh, one of her albums. Yeah. Legend. I guess um, Bob Dylan walked into the the Bitter End Club in 1975 and said, are there any poets around here? And Patti Smith replied, I hate poetry. Nice. And then many decades later, Patti acknowledged she was behaving like a high school teen, like she was 13, who pretends to be uninterested when a boy she likes approaches. Yeah. But then I guess they became like just good friends. She actually, when he got the Nobel Prize, she sang for him. She's from New Jersey, just like Jack Antonoff. Noodling. This is my John Cale get out of it jail free card because it sounds like Velvet Underground. So on this episode, I've embraced all the beloved figures of white America that I've previously hated from the basic Taylor Swift to the pretentious art school kid talking heads to my friend Adam and Bob Dylan, but I'll pass it back. All right. So we were talking about Big Star 13, considered one of the beautiful celebrations of adolescence as a song um which gets me to the taylor swift song i'm gonna do a little b2b a beat hard for me not to play this song given that this has been one that's been on and off in our house recently i don't know if we're gonna do a toddler's songs episode but in case we don't um this is a song for one of our earlier albums about the idea of growing up but now that i have a kid it just makes me cry every time I listen to it. Um, so this you're is me cry, being genuine. You're going to cry live on the pod? This is me being genuine and vulnerable like Taylor Swift. Launching into Taylor Swift, Never Grow Up. And since we chose the same Taylor Swift song, I'm going to have to figure out another one to, look, to play at the end. Your little hands wrapped around my finger and it's so quiet. He's sobbing, folks. So my other thinking was, you know, we're talking about the sort of range of Bob Dylan and her terms of like this is her early country stuff. I like her country stuff better, honestly. You got nothing to regret. 
I'd give all I have, honey, if you could stay like that. Oh, darling, don't you ever grow. All right, put on don't you ever grow. John Lennon, Beautiful Boy. Stay this little. Oh, darling, don't you ever grow. Don't you ever grow. It can stay this simple. I won't let nobody hurt you. All right, I already listened to the song earlier today, so I wouldn't cry on the podcast. All right, launching into oh, my Taylor right. Swift we can song. Cry on the podcast. I was feeling that. This is my Taylor Swift song, Clean. I did do Wildest Dreams. We've done this podcast, I think, for so many years together that we picked the same songs. Yeah. But you mentioned Sia and Imogen Heap and Sia always get confused together in my mind. This song's featured. Imogen Next week, I'm going to pick that Taylor Swift song that makes you cry so we can listen to the full thing. <laughs> We should do toddler songs for the next. Or Montegreen. Oh. She said you're all over me like a wine stain. <laughs> One of the cool things about Imogen Shelter Heap. from the storm, rain's pouring down. Did you already say that? No, that's good, though. Have you ever seen Imogen Heap perform her stuff live? No. She built this, like, mecha- like love that triggers her music through MIDI and something. Mm-hmm. And so she has this whole, like, interactive element to her music. Damn, just like the cool. flaming lips. Yeah. Vibrating uh, underwear. <laughs> Why am I sexualizing everything? I think you've got a crush on Taylor Swift. I think I do. I guess they flaming lips were going to do it, and then they ended up not doing it. Remote controlled vibrating underwear. I will say, I know you chose this album for a lot of reasons, but musically, this is probably my least favorite album of hers. Yeah, I what's your favorite? Pop Taylor Swift is definitely not at her best. I think it's cool that she can show that range, but favorite, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I think of her in albums. What do you think of her in just singles? Yeah, just songs here and there that I appreciate. Well, I feel like she is, though, an, a modern pop artist who is like, you know, like a Taylor Swift album is still a huge event. It definitely is. She's like perpetuating the form of the album, you know? Definitely. And I think some of like, you know what actually I like a lot for people who are skeptical listening to this is um, listen to her Tiny Desk concert. Ooh, I should it's watch a that. Really, it's a really good forum for her to kind of talk about how personal her songwriting is and to see her play it on a piano is really good. I thought you were going to say, I don't think of her in terms of albums. I think of her in terms of her boyfriends. Alright, you lose the episode. <laughs> what? DQ'd. DQ'd. This is funny. It's all a joke. It's a character. I have the vinyl. I'm gonna tell Anna about this. 
This would be perfect for like the credits on a modern movie. <laughs> yeah, it would. Romantic comedy. <laughs> yeah, or like Avatar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like really beautiful, like you know, animation. Yeah. Rain pouring down. I'm thinking Hillary Duff. Nice. Finally clean. Come clean. Take us home with some Bob Dylan. I think I'm finally clean. That's what Travis Kelsey says when he... No, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, launching in Patti Smith. Obvious connection to Bob Dylan here. Song I like the best. I was just feeling it. And it's also... I was just feeling it. You're going to make me lonesome when you go. I might cry. Great harmonica. Yeah, really good. I've seen love go by my door. It's never been this close before. Never been so easy or so slow. I've been shooting in the dark too long. When something's not right, it's wrong. You're gonna make me lose. So fun fact about this song. When my dad and I were driving cross country, uh, he mentions a city called Rashtabula or Ashtabula. And uh, we drove right through it. Right after we just like listened to this song, it's pretty crazy. Wow, Ashtabula, it's right outside, right outside Cleveland. That's crazy. You got Bader Meinhof, like David Byrne. I was on the hillside blooming crazy Crickets talking back and forth in rhyme Blue river running slow Ooh, and lazy. lazy I could stay with you forever and never realize All right, it's right the here. time Situations have ended sad Relationships have all oh, wait, been maybe bad not. Mine have been like Valaines and Rambo but there's no way I can compare all them scenes to this affair. You're gonna make me lonesome when you go. You're gonna make me wonder what I'm doing. Staying far behind without you. You're gonna make me wonder what I'm saying. You're gonna make me give myself a good talking to. I look Honolulu, Rashtabula. I know you like when people do that. Wait, bring it back. Did you hear Ashtabula? Oh, my bad. You're gonna have to leave me now, I know. But I see you in the sky above and the tall grass and the ones I love. You're gonna make me lonesome when you go. Did I miss it? It's all good. Without you, be lonesome when you go. But there's no way I can compare. I'll stay with you forever and never realize the time. Situations have ended sad. Relationships have all been bad. Mine have been like Valaines and Rambo. 
But there's no way I can compare All them scenes to this affair You're gonna make me lonesome when you go You're gonna make me wonder what I'm doing Staying far behind without you You're gonna make me wonder what I'm saying You're gonna make me give myself a good talking to San Francisco or Ashtabula There it is me now, I know. But I see you in the sky Thanks, thanks for doing that tall grass and the ones I love. In giant trouble All right, Taylor Swift versus Bob Dylan. I think Taylor has a chance to come out on top, depending on how the back half of her career goes. All right, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.